All right, thanks, Tony. We do uh, look to the scriptures on a weekly basis in here, uh, Thursday night and Sunday morning, for the sake of what Tony just declared, that the scriptures do speak to us regarding life as God has intended us to live it. So it was the Sunday after Easter that we started in Nehemiah. And I had a lady confess to me last weekend, when you said Nehemiah, I thought, oh, so boring. But she has, gratefully, maybe for you as well, found it anything but that boring that there's this man in the Old Testament who gives us such a fantastic example of what it means to be a difference maker in our world. And so it was that Sunday, if you were here, uh, that one by one we came up and said, we want to acknowledge what is broken in this world, what is robbing God of his glory that breaks our heart as well. And we wrote things here like the helpless, abandoned children, broken families, uh, the unreached, abortion, Things that are broken in our addiction. Things that are broken in this world. That could we be men and women through whom God would work for the sake of healing, helping the broken and burned. And so uh, as we've gone through the book of Nehemiah, we saw how he rebuilt the walls and restored the gates. And then after that was done, how he turned his attention to rebuilding the people who were broken and burned as well. And regrettably, we saw last week that after them turning to the Lord and beginning to walk with the Lord again, that those who had walked with the Lord stopped walking with the Lord in the final chapter of Nehemiah. They had walked and then they stopped walking with the Lord. They had committed to participate in supporting temple worship. They had committed to keep the Sabbath and they had committed to honor marriage. And they had done so for a while and then they stopped. And all of us actually, if we're honest, we can all acknowledge that that we have, if we have entered into a relationship with the Lord, that we have started to walk with him, and then in things that we were once committed to, sometimes we stop. We don't always, anybody who's married here can honestly say, I don't always every day honor the Lord in my marriage. Correct? If, if you always every day honor the Lord in your marriage, you are so deceived Because we don't, right? Or if you're not married, if you're single, honor the Lord in your singleness every day. We don't. They said they were going to give, and, and, and then they got selfish and didn't give anymore. That happens to us. We don't always honor the Lord in our finances. We say we're going to give something, and then we shrink back, or we get scared. We see the stock market go to this, and we go, oh, no, maybe I should hold on to stuff. All of us know what it means, if we once walk with God, to stop walking with God in some way. What happened to them? Well, we learned last week their accountability ceased, their compromise began, new desires ruled. This is, real, this is review. You don't need to try and write all this down. Uh, new practices replaced former practices, and ultimately, desire for God diminished. And that can happen to all of us. Now, some of us might be thinking of specifically people we love who have stopped walking with the Lord, and it's been years. Or maybe be better to think about not them, but yourself, and where you have stopped walking with the Lord for a day or two or in a particular area in your life. Because here's, here's the good news. We're going to see in the rest of chapter 13 how they who had once walked with God, then stopped walking with God, began to walk again. So here's what I'm asking the Lord to do in our lives this morning. That each of us would be able to say, where have we stopped? In what area? Maybe for a long time, maybe just for a short time. Where do we need to start walking again? And how does that happen? 
So we want to look together at uh, what we didn't look at last week in Nehemiah 13. So we'll be in and out of portions of it because we looked at portions last week. Here's the weird part about Nehemiah 13. Verses 1 through 3 are written before, obviously, 4 through 6. But they actually happened after 4 through 6. So that's why we looked at verses 4, 5, and 6 last week. And now we're going to go back and look at verses 1 through 3 first this week. Because they're written first, but they happen after. Is that clear? You understand? All right. So what we saw last week was they stopped walking because of their compromise and desire for God stopped. Now, verses 1 through says, how did they start walking again? It says in verse 1, on that day, they read aloud from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. Did you catch that? They read aloud from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and there was found written in it that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God because they did not meet the sons of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, God turned the curse into a blessing. So when they heard the law, what did they do? Specifically, they excluded foreigners from Israel. They heard the law and they obeyed the law. What's happening here? Even though verses four through six are, hap- have already, uh, are written next, they've already happened. Tobiah, an Ammonite, had been invited into, not just into the assembly of God, but to take up residence there. And then they read from the scriptures and said, what's happening is wrong. And they made it right. It's really simple. But this is, this is how it happens. When I start, stop walking with the Lord in some area in my life, for me to start again, it's most likely going to begin where there is a renewed submission to God's word. A renewed submission to God's word. There once was a submission, whether it was, again, whether it was in sexual purity or in finances or in your serving on how you treated people, how you engaged in your marriage. There once was a submission, but then you chose to go your own way and think your own thoughts and act your own actions. And the only way we come back is when we again say, I'm going to move. This is why we do this a lot here. We move from here, hearing the word of God, to submitting to the word of God. It's easy to live here. And, and go, well, I'd like to know what God says, and then I'll decide what I want to do. But they, they had been here, moved to here, and they walked with a God again when they went back here. And it, it's just real practically. Anybody here recognize there's a place in your life where you know what the word of God says, but you're right here. You're hearing it, but not submitting to it. I don't walk with God here. Now, I want to make sure, before we go on, that I make a clear distinction. There's a difference between walking with God and having a relationship with God. We have a relationship with God when we understand that our sin has separated us from God and Jesus, who took on human flesh lived a perfect life, and died a substitutionary death to take the sin that had separated us from God upon himself so that through faith in him you could be restored to, watch, relationship with God. When I am in relationship with God, I am now able to walk with God. Now, don't miss. Can I stop walking and still be in relationship. Yes, this is, this is what I want to make sure you capture. I'm not saying they were in relationship and then they were out of relationship and now they're back in relationship. No, once in relationship with God, we remain forever in relationship with him because 
He has poured his spirit into our hearts and the spirit of God in us, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, is the guarantee of our inheritance in Christ. So once restored to right relationship with God, always in right relationship with God. When I am in relationship, I am intended to walk with him. I can stop walking with him. But it's not just neutral. When I stop walking with God, I'm actually still walking, but now I'm walking in the what the Bible calls the flesh versus the spirit. So I don't want you to think that we're talking about, oh, they were saved, now they're not saved. Now, they were in relationship with God, walking with him, and they stopped walking. They didn't lose their relationship. They needed to walk again. Why is that important? Because if you don't understand that, you think, oh, so the way I gain relationship with God is by reading my Bible? No, that is not how you gain relationship with God. That is what you do when you are in relationship with God so that you will continue to walk with him. So they had not walked and they began walking again. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's just a really simple picture, but I love that because a path is for, for walking. And the word is a lamp that you would see it and step in it. Well, what do we do sometimes? <laughs> the Lord, the word tells us step here and we go, oh no, I want to go this way. And we walk in darkness. Even though we're in relationship with them, we walk in darkness because we did not walk according to the word. When I choose to not lovingly lead my wife, when I choose not to sacrifice for her, when I would choose a lustful thought versus a loving thought, I am seeing the light but walking in darkness. That's what we mean by stopping. When I'm stopping, I'm really saying I'm taking a step in darkness. And the only way that's restored is what? Is when the word of God presented to me and I submit to it again. It's not just that I hear it. Because I can hear it and disobey it. It's that I hear it and I submit to it. But it's not just what the word of God did in their life. Watch what Nehemiah did. It says in verse 8, it was very displeasing to me that Tobiah was now residing, so I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Then I gave an order, and they cleansed the rooms, and I returned there the utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. So you see, he said, we're going to get back under the word of God. We are outside. We're walking in darkness, not walking in light. Verse 15, he says, in those days I saw in Judah some who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath. In other words, they're working on the day that was intended for rest. And bringing in sacks of grain and loading them on donkeys as well as wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads. And they brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I admonished them on the day they sold food. Also, men of Tyre were living there who imported fish and all kinds of merchandise and sold them to the sons of Judah on the Sabbath, even in Jerusalem. So they're not only working on the Sabbath, they're doing business as usual, buying and selling on the Sabbath. Then I reprimanded. Ever been reprimanded? Nehemiah reprimands them. I reprimanded the nobles. Nobles are not used to being reprimanded. I reprimanded the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing that you're doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do the same so that our God brought on us and on this city all this trouble? You're doing what got us here. <laughs> Yet you are adding to the wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. What's he saying? Friends, sin, when we walk in darkness, 
it brings trouble into our lives. Sin destroys. Sin ruins. Some of you know that by testimony. You know what the Lord wanted you to do? And instead of walking in the light, you walked in darkness, and it just kind of was like a hand grenade in your life. And you're thinking, God's punishing me. Sin is punishing you. Because sin ruins. What did Nehemiah do for them? Nehemiah did for them what we all need people to do for us when we have chosen to walk in darkness instead of walk in the light. He confronted them. As someone who cared that they were bringing destruction upon themselves and someone who had courage, courage to speak up. He did what so many of us are afraid to do for one another. He confronted them. Now, I, I wrote it this way, that you would see he cared for them. You're bringing wrath upon it. You're adding trouble. And he had courage. He, he said things to people who are not used to being said things like that to them. There was courage. Who in here would acknowledge I need to be confronted at times about things in my life? Anybody in here need to be confronted? Yeah, more times than you have been? <laughs> yes, we need, we need people who will confront us, but with care and courage. Confrontation minus care equals what? Just a hammer, right? I just come up and, and I see something wrong in your life and I go, get him, wham! Don't ever do it again. And you're like, wow, I feel the love. <laughs> so they're right, but they're wrong in the right and it makes it hard. Doesn't make it, it just makes it hard, right? What's confrontation minus courage? We don't know. It's never happened. You get it? It's when we know something needs to be addressed. But we say things like this. Well, I'm not perfect. Yeah, we know. The scripture does not say those who are perfect, though, hammer the imperfect. You still have things to work on? Yes. And part of that that I have to still work on and probably you is the courage to speak up when other people are going down a path of sin that destroys and ruins and say, stop, stop. Confrontation by people who care and have courage is how people who have stopped start walking again. Maybe some of you know could say, yeah, I can put a name to that. I was walking in darkness, and a person who loved me was bold enough to step in and call me on it. But getting called on it alone won't do it. Being confronted alone won't do it. They were receptive, and you might want to Circle that word. The key word here is receptive. I, I took the words from the text. You probably saw it. Uh, he reprimanded them. He admonished them. And he instructed them. You may go, I didn't see instruction. As you read the text, you'll see on a number of time, times he commanded them. That was him instructing them. He brought reprimand, admonishment, and instruction. But the key word is they were receptive. Because I have had the occasion to try to courageously and care, with care, confront and experience being received and experience being rebuffed. And I've done the same. I've received and I've resisted. If we're going to walk with the Lord, there has to be a receptivity to other people who see things in my life that either I don't see or, more honestly, I don't want to see. 
I don't want to look at that. I don't want to deal with that. It's just who I am. It's just how I was raised. It's just those things that we go, I don't want to address that. And so, anybody in your life, we talked about this last week, who has an invitation in that you would be receptive to. I love Proverbs 15, 31, 32. He whose ear listens to life-giving reproof. Just, I love the expression, life-giving reproof. In other words, (laughs) ruining destructive sin. So what happens? But people who give reproof, according to the scriptures, not according to their opinion, But people who give reproof according to the scriptures are giving life. And he who listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. In other words, if I don't listen, I am a... You don't like to say that word? When I don't listen, I'm a fool. Now nobody goes, I'd like to be a fool today. But we do say, I don't want to hear that. When I say, I don't want to hear that, (laughs) what I'm really saying is, I want to be a fool. He who neglects discipline despises himself. See, that's the point. When I refuse to receive it, who am I hurting? Me. Me. Discipline, reproof, correction, reprimand. Again, when it's rooted in the scriptures, it's it's good. It helps. It's what I need for when I have stepped into darkness to step back in to light. Before honor comes humility. You understand what that means? The honor is for the wise, but the wise, the wisdom is the fruit of humility, uh, the receptivity to life-giving reproof. All Judah then brought the tithe of the grain, so he rebuked them, reprimanded them for what they had not been doing, they had, not bringing the, they had not been bringing in the tithe of the grain, the wine and oil. They had not been giving as they had been instructed, as they had been doing. They had been walking in the light of giving. They were now walking in darkness by refusing to give. He reprimands them. They receive it, and they do what? They start doing. They have this renewed submission to God's word by their receptivity and that receptivity results in them abandoning sinful practices. They abandon their sinful practices of not giving. They abandon their sinful practices we see in terms of their intermarrying. Because they're receptive. But here's, here's what I want to make sure you understand. We don't walk in darkness. In other words, disobey the scripture and walk with the Lord at the same time. Now that might seem obvious to you. But I, am, I have a growing concern with our current culture's capacity to say... Yeah, I'm walking with the Lord, but engaged in sexual immorality. Living in clear disobedience to the scriptures, but walking with the Lord. No, no. Those who walk with the Lord abandon their sinful practices. Yeah, I'm walking with the Lord. I'm not, in their sense, yeah, we're walking with the Lord, we're not giving. No. 
You can't walk in the darkness and walk with the Lord. If we walk with the Lord, there's abandoning of our sinful practices and, and beginning to submit again to the word of God. So what I'm saying to us is if we're going to start walking again, there's going to have to be not only repentance verbally, there's going to be change of mind reflected by the fruits of those repentance. I say, Paul says to the believers in Galatia, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. You can't do both. You can't walk by the Spirit and carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. I hope that's super clear. It seems obvious. And yet it's grown fuzzy in our culture that I can do what I want and walk with the Lord. That's not what the scripture says. I either am, I'm walking according to the flesh, doing what I think is best, doing what I think is right, doing what I think I want, or I'm walking with the Lord. In other words, I am living in obedience to the scriptures. So if we've stopped, and stopped equals Walking in darkness. We only start again where there's repentance. So that may be a, a work of repentance in your heart. Jesus made it this simple. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now you may go, well, do you keep all of his commandments? Watch. No. No. You don't love him. Correct. I don't love him perfectly. The fact that I don't keep all the commandments is a reflection that I don't love him perfectly. When will I keep all the commandments? <laughs> when I love him perfectly in heaven. Growing in Christ's likeness is learning to walk with him more frequently. But love of God equals obedience to God. Love of God is more, it includes experiencing him in worship, but love of God is more than experiencing God in a worship service. Love of God is lived out in the decisions we make every single day, in every single relationship. If we love him, we keep his commandments. And when I don't keep it, it's reflective that I do not love him fully. He loves me perfectly. I do not love him perfectly. So, <clears throat> finally... They not only abandon their sinful practices, they re-engage with godly leaders. This is, this is what they had stopped doing. Remember, compromise began last week, if you were here. Compromise began when accountability is gone. They begin to walk again, and they re-engage with godly leaders. It says in verse 11, so I reprimanded the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? Then I gathered them together and restored them to their posts. So in other words, he brings back the Levites and the priests, those who were intended to lead the people in practices that would foster love for God, they begin to re-engage. What I hope you're hearing from this is this. If you acknowledge right now this morning, there's an area in which you're not walking with the Lord, but you know he is calling you to step back and walk in the light. Don't try to do it yourself. Don't just make, because this is what will happen. You'll make this personal, private commitment to the Lord. I'm going to do better. But you've probably made that personal, private commitment before. And you haven't. 
You didn't, you didn't invite other people into your life to spur you on, to foster your love for God, to help you. Don't just make your repentance to the Lord and your words to the Lord and your new resolve to the Lord. Nehemiah said, we need to do this together, not just individually. Now, I'm not saying you need to post your sin on Facebook and invite everybody to help you. Don't do that. Not only am I saying you shouldn't. Yeah, don't do that. But who will you invite in? Because Matt, I really appreciated what Matt did for us this morning. To connect that, that simple song, nothing is better than you, Lord, with the sin that so easily entangles. And declaring, when that temptation comes, and the sin that easily entangles, that temptation will come this way. Will you be ready to not only at that moment combat it with, that does not compare to the Lord. And will you have brought somebody else into your life that would encourage you? That's going to ruin you know, you've been here before. That ruins, that destroys. Choose life-giving rebuke. So they stopped. But by God's grace and his word and others who cared and were courageous, they repented and they started again. You can too. That's what I hope you hear. Real quickly, I want us to, though, get on the other side of the table and go, what do we learn from Nehemiah as we are people who are trying to help other people who have stopped start, all right? What do we learn from this? So when, turn the tables, when you're trying to help others begin to walk with God again, and I don't just do think generically here. How many of you, again, would say there's someone that you love is part of your life, family, friend, co-worker, some connection in your life, somebody that they were walking with the Lord, but you've seen them stop walking in the light and they're walking in darkness right now, and you would love for them to walk in the light. How many of you know somebody like that? All right. You have a specific person in mind. All right. Here's what I want. With that person in mind, what do we learn from Nehemiah? Verse 25. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God. <laughs> now, did I make that up? No, I didn't make that up. That literally, that's what he did. That sounds like something I would make up. When I read it, I was like, wow, dude. In fact... Matt Collins said to me Thursday night, we were like going through the sermon. I thought, you got to deal with 25 because what in the world's happening in verse 25? Like, really? Like he grabbed them and punched them and pulled out their hair? Because Ezra, who was before Nehemiah, actually the people he was leading did the same thing, but Ezra pulled out his hair. And Nehemiah said, I'm not pulling out my hair, I'm pulling out your hair. Now, so that person you had in mind, you got it. There's what you need to do right there. <laughs> it happened to you. Oh, I'm just playing with you. <laughs> Sorry. That was just really a cheap shot, and I don't even know you. I apologize 100%. <laughs> He's a ball. No, no, no. I apologize. That's called walking in the darkness right there. Oh. <laughs> uh, You think we should do this? We, we, when you try to help others begin to walk with the Lord, do so with force, violence, and threats. <laughs> See, usually I suck you into writing it down, but you're like, I'm not writing that down. <laughs> and good for you. 
I think, I think, I could be wrong. Because I was like, man, is there like some Old Testament verse that this is what you're supposed to do and we just don't do this anymore? So I looked and I couldn't find it. If you know it, I will receive the reprimand. I actually think what's happening here is this. Nehemiah is mad and frustrated. And I think Nehemiah, as for all the good that he did with these folks, so many times for so long, he just kind of loses it here. And Nehemiah himself uh, records him just losing it. He admits it. And you may go, what? But he was like really, he was really zealous. Well, I agree. But that sort of zeal, too far. I, I think he's walking in darkness himself right there. Which, if you're trying to help someone who's walking in darkness to walk in the light again, just recognize your response can actually take you into darkness. Brother, and if anyone is caught in a... Here's New Testament truth. This one, you, I didn't make this one up, but this is, this is what somebody needed to say, hey, uh, Nehemiah. If anyone's caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of not force, violence, or threats, but a spirit of gentleness. Why? Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. See, this is why I think what we see in Nehemiah is a zealous acting in the flesh. And I get it. I understand it. But when we say things like, I get it, I understand it, that doesn't make it right. What's right, that person you had in your mind that you'd like to pull their hair out, you'd just like to punt them because you think, don't you see how you're hurting yourself and hurting others? What's wrong with you? You used to walk in the truth. What's wrong? All that, that flesh that wants to come out, just acknowledge what we just saw here. Oh, whoa, I could be that person. I could be, I could be that person. And so, I'm not going to ignore them. It doesn't say, hey, you could be that person, so just mind your own business, and you do you, and you let them do them. It doesn't say that. It says, recognize you could be that person. And so when you go, don't go force, don't go threatening, don't go violent, don't go hard, go humble and gentle. Humble. Hey, we're all susceptible. We're all, we'll sing it in a moment, we're all prone to wonder. And not just prone to all, we all do wonder. So when you see somebody walking in darkness, remember, you walk in darkness too. You've been deceived too. You've satisfied the desires of your flesh too. You've lied too. So go with humility and gentleness. Because it's hard to repent. Sometimes we feel like we need to like beat people up to make sure they understand. Don't do that again. Hey, sin beats people up. You don't need to. I don't need to. Sin will beat them up. That's acknowledge how prone we all are to wonder and humbly, gently call them back to righteousness, to life giving truth. And then the second thing I want us to see is chapter 13, Nehemiah says four times, 
in this closing chapter, the same idea with one time being a little bit of a different twist. He says at verse 14, Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. Remember me, O God, for what? For what I've done. He says in verse 22, For this also remember me, O my God, and have compassion on me according to the greatness of your loving kindness. Verse 29, remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. And the final sentence of the book, remember me, O my God, for good. That's fascinating. Four times. What? Remember God. Remember what was done. Three times remember me for the, for the good that I did. And one time, remember, remember them for what the wrong they did. What am I saying? I'm saying when Nehemiah, when we, when we seek to be Nehemiah, like folks who help people who once walked in light are walking in darkness and we try to win them back, we do so. Listen, we do so because that is what the Lord has called us to do. Will they respond? Will they? Maybe. But our obedience sometimes is too dependent upon whether we think it's going to work or not. I'm not going to confront him. I don't think they're going to listen. That's not my job to determine whether they're going to listen or not. Well, I, I, I know it says gentle, but I, I, think, I think, Doug, you just got to sometimes bring the hammer. Because people aren't going to respond to gentleness. That's not my decision. That's the Lord's. The Lord said, go in humility and gentleness. Even if you think, no, it's force that's required. I think maybe the greatest thing we learn from Nehemiah about helping others who are not walking with the Lord to walk with the Lord again is whatever we do, we do it as unto the Lord. In other words, let me just be really clear. What's the Lord called me to do? And I'm going to do that and leave the results with him. Remember me, Lord. See, I know there's a, quite a number of parents. You're thinking about your kids right now. And you've asked yourself a hundred times, just what, what could I do to get them to come back? And I want to encourage you to think this. What's the Lord called me to do? Because one is driven by results and the other is driven by obedience. I'm going to do it unto the Lord. Remember me, Lord, for what I've done. Not for how they responded. For how they responded, remember them, O oh Lord. And I'm not being flippant when I say that. Uh, that's what I desperately need. Otherwise, I will just be so bound and frustrated and angry and potentially threatened until I get them to turn. And that's not my job. My job is to say, I'm going to lovingly, gently, with care and courage, speak truth and seek to live in truth and humbly acknowledge when I fail to, my own propensity to walk in darkness, but my desire to walk in light. And say, remember me, Lord, for what I've done and remember them for what they've done. I... I hope that sets some of you free. And 
from the weight that you feel. And actually, I hope it sets some of you to action to do what you haven't done because you didn't think it would work. So I'm going to invite the men to come and serve us the elements of the Lord's Supper. You may think, wow, that's a huge, abrupt shift. No. Why why are we even able to start again after we've stopped walking with the Lord? (laughs) Because of the grace of God, and the grace of God has been revealed in what he has done for us through his son, Jesus. If you're unfamiliar, let me explain quickly. What's being passed around is broken up pieces of unleavened cracker. Jesus actually said to do this exercise, if you will, in remembrance of him. That this broken unleavened cracker is the reminder of the body of Jesus who was the son of God and lived a perfect life but paid the penalty for our sin. He was broken to heal the broken. And this cup of juice, it's a reminder that when Jesus died on the cross, he shed his perfect blood to be the payment for our sin so that your sin, my sin, could be forgiven for all who call upon him. God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it is through faith in Jesus that we have what we talked about earlier, relationship with God. And it's through the grace of God that we who once walked in light, stopped and walked in darkness, can return to walk in light again. So I want us to do two things. First, would you examine your own heart? Is there any way in which you know you are currently walking in darkness? That you would put yourself under the word of God again. You would confess your sin. Abandon your sinful practice. Christ has made you new so that you would walk in newness of life. And second, your heart's breaking about somebody who you love is not walking with the Lord right now. Would you submit yourself to be the instrument, not that changes them, but the instrument who lovingly, gently, and humbly speaks truth to them. Humbly,
mercy of God expressed in Jesus. Would you just in the quiet of your seat now say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you for patience, forgiveness. And I present my body now to you. Would you tell him that? I present my body now to you to be your instrument to reveal your glory and to help others who are walking in darkness. Would you remember us, O Lord, for the good that we have sought to do? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your body and for your blood. It's taken remembrance of him. When you're done, I invite you to stand. Let's just declare this together. Here we go. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor Let thy goodness like a better bind my wandering heart to thee. I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. that you're here this morning. Um, if we could pray for you in any way, pray for you or someone you know who's walked away from the Lord. You just want someone to pray with you. We've got men and women available between the auditoriums and they'd be glad to do that with you. So I hope you have a great rest of the day and a blessed week. We'll see you next time.